So, Tom, I had a, a bit of a weekend last weekend, actually. I have to say, it was a bit of a perfect day because what I did was I went and won the monthly medal at my local golf club by a stonking four strokes <laughs> off of the next person. And I came back to the, the spike bar and had a lovely um, bowl of pasta whilst I watched the Grand Prix on the telly in the clubhouse. Now, if that's not a perfect day, eh? Yeah. Huge congratulations, Damon. That's amazing. I, my favourite hole is always the 19th. I've got to, I've got to say that. Uh, but it was one of your good days at the office by the sounds of it. Well, it was quite funny because I was sitting there watching it with a, with a bunch of other golfers, obviously. And I'm sitting there commentating on the commentary and on some of the things that say, and, and people are turning to me and going, well, what about that? And then I say something and then I hear the pe- my, my commentary team repeat it on the, on the TV screen. So I did feel quite good about myself. But, um, but I was astonished at how much the, the guys I was watching with knew about strategy and when somebody should have come in. So the whole controversy about whether Lewis should have been brought in and, and all this, they knew it all. I mean, I'm, I was really impressed by that. So that's, that's good news, isn't it? Damon, regular listeners will know that you weren't with us last week. Um, what would you have done if you were Lewis Hamilton in the Turkish group? Yeah, I would have gone to the you end. You would have gone to the end, not pitted. It was a gamble, right? Um, and he, he might have made it. He's been known to make it in the past. Obviously, there was the famous one in China where he didn't quite make it, but he was inexperienced then. And I think once you come so far, the worst thing you can do, basically you've admitted defeat if you then, if you then have to change your plan. So, hmm... Yeah, he kind of got in deep. There wasn't a kind of harmony between the team in the communication, was there? So that he overrode uh, the strategist uh, vows in the, in the team, I think, in the middle of the race, and then was annoyed when he he also came in and put a new set of tires on. It didn't work, but no, it was damage limitation because of the engine as well, the ice. So the starting from uh, you know ten places back, but um, it was a good race. So anyway, that's behind everyone, isn't it, Tom? And we're now looking forward to the big one. This is it. The US Grand Prix. It feels like the big one. I've got this sense of excitement about going on a a long-haul flight for the first time in about 18 months. Damon, let's get the show on the road. Welcome to uh, this week's edition of F1 Nation with me, Damon Hill, and you over there, Tom Clarkson. Yeehaw! (laughs) <laughs> welcome back we missed you last week uh, well I, I enjoy doing this it's good it's uh, but, uh, but uh, I, as i explained i was having i was having other things on my plate and uh and having a bit of a break because we're into a bit of a spate now of races aren't we yeah we got six races in eight weeks We've got a bit of a flurry. before we know it this championship is going to be over and i'm, I'm in mexico well i'm i i I'm not in Brazil, but then I'm in Qatar and then I'm in Saudi. Hey, Damon, where do you think this is going to be won, this title fight? Somewhere between now and the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's not won before. I mean, I'm not doing Abu Dhabi, but uh, I've got a good I got a feeling it could go all the way to the wire. Damon, one of the questions we, we were uh, mulling over last week is which car would you want to be driving for the rest of the season, the Red Bull or the Mercedes? I think Mercedes. I think I honestly think after Turkey, I was a bit shocked. I think Red Bull were a bit were a bit shocked as well by the, the form. I mean, Valtteri drove a fantastic race, and he deserves full credit for that race because he, but he did his job. But clearly, the car was you know Lewis was able to put four tenths or something on the competition, 
um, despite his grid penalty. So the car looked good, didn't it? On on a track like that, and that's a that's a pretty good test that track of of your car's performance. And I can't think of circuits between now and the end that are going to be that much in favour of the Red Bull. In fact, some of the circuits I thought were Red Bull dominant tracks turned out to be not uh, this season. So like hungry. Well, I think they're banking on the high altitude tracks of particularly Mexico, but also Brazil, mm. uh, where the Honda power unit seems to perform better at higher altitude than the Mercedes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't forget this aerodynamic effect as well at altitude. So they've made these noises, haven't they, about Mercedes, particularly the um, the Mercedes uh, works team, the AMG um, Mercedes, that Red Bull are basically sort of suggesting they're up to something with their plenum chamber. That's what Christian has been suggesting is that there's some sort of inexplicable performance advantage that Mercedes have now, particularly the works Mercedes team. And then you've got all the other Mercedes teams coming to back up the works team saying, we get all, we all get the same equipment and, and we're happy with our car and there's nothing, we're, up, we're not up to anything that's uh, untoward. But they're all starting to little, you know, the tension is rising. And if you get beaten, you like to find a reason why. And I think that Red Bull are sort of trying to find out how they can uh, explain the fact, because they've obviously improved the Honda power unit, but they're still getting beaten really on power by Mercedes. Interesting to see um, your old mucker, Adrian Newey, back at the racetrack in Turkey. He's missed a few races. He had a bicycle accident, but he's now back on the front one. line. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think he had to have a few operations, didn't he? But he's he's now back on the front line, which is great for the team, isn't it? I think that's going to be, a, if nothing else, a hugely motivating factor just to have him there on the pit wall, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, think, he's, um, I think he really wants to be useful and, and also, you know, put his put whatever he can put into uh, the performance. I mean, there's very little you can do between now and the end of the season with the development of this this car. I don't know how, I wouldn't be surprised if they got any more developments to put on the car at this late stage. But, the, you know, you can do a lot with talking to the engineers, backing up engineers on setup and strategy and stuff, you know, with all his experience. Of course, he is also experienced on ovals as well. We, we have somebody coming later who can talk about ovals. Oh, we have we have a very special guest later. Before we preview the US Grand Prix, bit of news. The World Motorsport Council met last week. They approved the 2022 calendar. So the yeah, 23 races. 20th of March to the 20th of November. That's the season. Mm. It's not starting in Australia. Not starting in Australia, starting in Bahrain. Two races in the United States. Yeah, Florida, of course, coming up. In May, is it May or March? Uh, May, Miami. May, yeah. yeah. May the 8th, and then Austin at similar time of year. So 23 races. And also, was it seven sprint races? Yeah. Damon, I've got a question for you. And now everyone's talking about the longevity of the calendar. Who does more seat time? A driver now with 23 races and no in-season testing, or you in the mid-90s, 16 races and then testing every other week. Who actually does more laps in a Formula One car, do you think? I think you need to ask someone who kept all the records. Um, I, I didn't keep any records, but you're absolutely right. We would, you know, for whatever racing we did, let's say it's a three-day weekend, we did 16 of those. We also did equally that number of days testing, probably double that. You know, could we go through the winter as well? So we'd be, we had something once, which we called the 10-day war, which was 10 days at Estoril, 
and people were being drafted in and out and you got a medal at the end if you'd been there for a week so you know it was it was like uh, the first world war so going into the trenches and I, and I literally I tested to the point where I had no idea anymore what whether we tried this thing or we hadn't tried that thing, we just went round. We just literally were drones. We just got in the car and drove and wore ourselves out and uh, and the car and, and all the tyres and probably the track. So anyone in the teams talking about the longevity of the calendar and they've got short memories because go back to your day, they were doing mm. every bit as much travelling and track days as now. Yeah, no limit on engine testing, no limit on number of engines, no limit on aerodynamic testing. So the, you basically, if you had the money, you spent it all and you did as much as you possibly could. And Frank used to basically phone up and the, the testing guy, a uh, guy called Brian Lambert, who ran the test team, his job was to get the car on the track at nine o'clock and keep going around till five. So basically, <laughs> if the car wasn't out of the garage at nine o'clock, Frank would hear about it and uh, he'd get a rocket. So uh, it, was, it was really tough. Was there any proper downtime for you as a driver? Yes, I think so. I make it sound tough, but it, and we loved it. You know, it was great to. There was a limit to the amount of testing you can do before you get test blindness. You know, you you start to wonder what the point of this is. I, I remember going uh, after Monaco, which is an extremely long weekend when you're fighting for a championship, and it's four days, and there's no respite from autograph requests and and questions and journalists and everything, and and getting about Monaco is is tough. So a tough weekend, and then Tuesday you're back in a car at Silverstone, and I, I wanted a bit of a break, and I actually, to be honest, I had I threw a bit of a wobbly. Because Frank came down to see us testing and I'm going around and I think, I'm no good to man nor beast because I'm exhausted. Uh, why are we here? Why are we doing this? And um, Frank said, um, uh, well, um, Michael Schumacher will be going around Fiorano. And, you know, and I was going, well, get Michael Schumacher then. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I had a little bit of a tantrum, um, but I was, I was exhausted. So yeah, you do need to preserve your your energy reserves in a season. I think this is where I've said before, I think Lewis is quite good at managing his his energy, but then he can negotiate that in the contract. If you're another driver for another team, you don't quite have that kind of pull, then you can find yourself doing all the promotional work, all the testing, all the sim time, and you know you can be exhausted. Well, Damon, let's take a little breather. Well, look, let's throw it forward to this weekend's US Grand Prix. Round 17 of the World Championship. Weird to think that it was just 16 races in your championship year. You were done and dusted at this point. Yeah, it's true. I, I mean, I just, uh, you know, went past October, which was 25 years ago. I won the championship. And I, I, to me, it felt like we were racing in November, but we weren't. We were racing in, in October, which was the last race. I do remember Adelaide was, I think, was in November. So I think they did go all the way. But this year, we're going, are we going to December? Yeah. This yeah. December the 12th, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Time to get all your duty-free shopping for Christmas. <laughs> and it's also weird to think that you never raced a US Grand Prix, Damon. I didn't. No, no, we, we, we didn't. We, they weren't, it wasn't on the menu. We got, um, Mon the closest we got was Montreal. So we got a lot of people from New York and the States. The fans from the States came up to that one. Um, that's the furthest um, we went, we never did. Uh, Long Beach was before me, as, as was Las Vegas and Detroit and all those ones. So what do you think of COTA, the circuit of the Americas? I'd love to have a go. I mean, I haven't, I haven't been around it. It looks fun. It looks really good fun. There's Turkey and COTA, which is two of the better circuits by... Um, Herman Tilke. Herman Tilke, yes. So, yeah, great track. Um, good to spectate as well. And, you, you know, you've got that fantastic first corner. And that amazing hill that you, you can 
I went up there to watch the cars arriving a few years back. And it's it's really strange. They come flying up that hill and then just slither around that apex and then shoot off through those sweeping, you know, the, the S's bit, which is very similar to Suzuka. Very, very quick. Yeah, massive performance in the cars. Wow, and turn six, they talk about it being four and a half Gs mm. for three seconds in one corner. Yowch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> proper proper quick but damon i believe we have a man in the waiting room who can tell us a lot more about this and other things go on introduce the great man well we have we have for you listeners we have one of the greatest names in our sport of all time and here he is the living breathing manifestation of a legend which is Mario Andretti, welcome to the F1 Nation podcast with me and Tom. Are you there? How are you? Hi, uh, hi, Mario. What time have you got over your, over there? It's uh, just early morning. Here it's uh, midday. Well, it's twelve o'clock. We just just got up. <laughs> <laughs> just got up and brushed my teeth, so we're good. <laughs> oh, Mario, it's lovely to see you. Thank you. Likewise. Likewise. Damon and I are getting very excited about this coming weekend in Austin. And just before you joined us, we were saying what a great racetrack it is. It is indeed, actually. I had, you know, the opportunity to be uh, to ride it with a two-seater when the, the IndyCar race was there. So at least I have a much better feel for it because before then, I, you know, I was on it with the uh, Malota 79, but the, the ones that uh, are available nowadays uh, leave a bit to be desired as far as the setup, <laughs> you know. So, so anyway, with the two-seater, it's a little more representative and, and you get the flair of uh, what the track is about. And it's, it's fun in so many ways. Actually, it's better than I thought. You know, they even uh, having driven, say, with a McLaren sports car and so forth, which is really fun. But uh, with a proper single seater is, uh, is a different feeling. And I sort of I, I liked it uh, better than I thought I would, quite honestly. What did you feel like uh, modern tracks? Mario got lots of runoff and, uh, you know, flat curbs and stuff. Did you uh, did you feel like you could just let it, you know, let it go and, and not take any risks or whatever on a, that kind of track? Or You know, Damon, I don't think it makes a damn bit of difference. You know, uh, really, in our way of thinking, uh, that's something that uh, never even crossed my mind, to be honest with you, because, okay, you said there's a bridge abutment there and you're going to slow down. It, damn well, you know that you're not going to do that. You know, so and that's still with me, quite honestly. I think it's um, it's a good margin to have, especially when uh, I have a another soul with me, you know, behind me <laughs> to see. <it. laughs> but I usually, you know, I'm not unreasonable, but I usually don't leave much on the table, quite honestly. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. You know, if I'm going to go out there and just ride 98%, you know, uh, I'm not going to do it. I still challenge myself to some degree. And uh, again, it's uh, to go back. It's nice to have a, some margin, but I don't think about it. I don't think in those terms. Now, Mario, how much are you keeping abreast of Formula One this season? We've, we're having a hell of a season. Hell of a season, indeed. And uh, I can assure you that I'm keeping abreast. Yes, I, uh, there's so much to look forward to, quite honestly. You know, it's finally very unpredictable, even though, you know, up front, it's uh, pretty much 
we know who's going to be the protagonist, uh, but there's more than one, you know, and uh, and so you can see that uh, even Voltaire is ready to pick up the slack, you know, when something is uh, awry with uh, Lewis, uh, and then uh, then again, let's face it, Verstappen is always there, you know, and he will be there to the end. So good stuff, you know, and and it's great to see McLaren, you know, even come on strong and, and uh, you can tell that they're becoming a force to be reckoned with. And then always, you always hope for Ferrari to have their nose in there. Obviously, that's important. Uh, so a lot of good things are happening. I mean, look at Gasly is always there, you know, with the Alpha Tauri. You know, that's really interesting. A lot of good talent represents solid future, obviously. It's uh, IndyCar the same way. There's a a lot of good talent, a lot of young lads that are coming on really, really strong. And, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, some of uh, the older guys are still young enough, you know, that uh, real quickly. Uh, it was fun to see uh, Roman really en enjoy himself. But, you know, knowing that, uh, you know, with the spec series, he's pretty much in the Mercedes there, <laughs> like everybody else. And, uh and doing this thing so it's quite a lot going on across the atlantic now there's kind of seems to be a little bit more traffic both ways are we going to see potentially uh an indycar driver currently of the of the crop there is out there can you see someone coming over i mean like jack won the championship and then came over and won the f1 championship you've done the same you know so that that kind of getting into the consciousness f1 into the consciousness of the united states has been a bit of a tough one but it seems to be they're catching on in the, in in America, aren't they? To a bit more to the the story. Yeah, I think for sure there's there's definitely a movement and there's a desire. I think uh, from a couple of lads, you know, to um, especially one American. I know that uh, Colton Herta, I think, would fit there quite nicely. And and it's uh, you know it's a matter of uh, when this could happen. But the fact that uh, you're going to have two Grand Prix here in the beginning of next year. That's a good thing. And I think it would be awesome. It would be great to see an American driver uh, somewhere there with a representative team, as, uh, of course. What do you see in Colton? Why do you say he would um, suit coming over? For many reasons. Uh, number one, uh, he's tr basically trained there. If you uh, speak to Landon Norris, you know, they race together in Formula 3. He pretty much uh, did uh, his early racing in Europe. And then came to the States and, and um, uh, immediately he was forced to be reckoned with in the uh, supporting series, you know, to IndyCar and won championships there. And, and then when he moved on to the IndyCar, immediately he was, uh, he was a winner, you know. And, and I mean, in a good way, not, uh, you know, not lucky. I mean, uh, speed. And good calculation. And uh, I mean, the last race that he won, he started 14th at Long Beach. And uh, I would not have given him 30% chance of winning, you know. And and there again, he came right through through the best of them. So he has quality that Damon, uh, in my opinion, comes along, you know, every couple of decades. I would love to see someone like that get a crack at Formula One. Do you see a little bit of uh, Mario in Colton? I see a lot of desire there, honest desire to do that because, you know, in America, 
you could be quite satisfied actually uh, to have a good career right here, you know, with the IndyCar or whatever, you know, what the or NASCAR, you know, which is what the America has to offer. But um, I see clearly with Colton, you know, Formula One is in his mind very strongly. And, and I think uh, timing is good for him. Again, uh, we'll see what happens, but uh, there's some action going on in that, on that front and, and we'll see what happens. Mario, can you tell us anything about that action? Because there's so much speculation now about Michael making a move with Sauber. Is there anything you can tell us? Well, I wish I could, quite honestly, but there's some loose ends yet that the way I understand that, uh, and I'm not definitely not uh, a spokesperson for the team. I wish I could, quite honestly, but I uh, probably don't know enough to really be useful. <laughs> Mario, I'm, I'm just imagining Andretti above the door at Hinville in Switzerland. What an amazing name that would be to have in Formula One, wouldn't it? Well, we'll wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Mary, you got you not yourself, as far as I know. You can correct me if I'm completely wrong here. But in your career, you've never run. Your, you wanted to run your own team as such. I know Michael does, but but you yourself have steered away from it. It's very true, actually. Well, yeah, indeed. Actually, Damon, I owned a team uh, in 1968, an IndyCar, because uh, the principal Al Dean of Dean Van Lines passed away at the end of the season. And I wanted to continue uh, with the same, you know, the, obviously the same support with everyone. And I'm the only one that could have taken over. And I did. I owned the team in 1968. I didn't like that role, quite honestly, at all. Because number one, as a driver, all I wanted to do is move around whenever I wanted to. I didn't want to have the responsibility, uh, sponsors and so on and so forth, uh, uh, which was coming on at the time as well. All along throughout my career, I wanted to just drive as long as I possibly could. And as you know, I think I pushed the envelope as, as, as much as anyone uh, in that respect. Uh, and where on the other side, I feel that Michael, for instance, he came out of the cockpit at the very top of his game, you know, as a driver. But he had this thing about the business side that uh, I think fascinated him to some degree had to, you know, because he delved right into that, you know, by uh, buying uh, the team green at the time and, uh, and having some partners along the way. And then before too long, he just uh, obviously bought everybody out and, 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 and stayed on himself. But then also the way he, as you could see, even now the teams that he's fielding, like in, in uh, Formula E, He's got a, you know, in supercars in Australia. Uh, he's got, uh, he's pretty much involved in what, six or seven, seven different uh, disciplines, including, uh, you know, rallying, some rallying, uh, uh, and so on and so forth. So he's a busy man. <laughs> it's a true business. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a, yeah, he's very ambitious, you know, and, and motor racing is his life in, in, in every way. So um, there are no boundaries, quite honestly, uh, for, you know, for, for him as he sees it. I'd love to see that because it gives me also, 
much more reason to stay connected, you know, and, and, um, and, and I love that because uh, that's it. That's all we know. That's all we like, actually. I think the thing is, I, I like the fact that you're, an, you're a driver, a pure driver, Mario, you know, so you're kind of like an ambassador for all racing drivers. You know, we can all relate to you. And it's, you know, once you cross over that line, you become a team owner. You kind of gone over to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> you're kind of like you no know, it's like... I'll, I'll never be that i'll never be that that's not a role that really fits me quite honestly yeah. okay uh, and uh you know whatever michael does still i'm just interested in the driver's side um you know of it all uh i don't care about any of the logistics about running a team or anything else i don't want to be involved in that and i don't want a job yeah <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> I don't want it and, and I don't need a job. So Typical race driver. That's that. We used to be called that a three-letter word, J-O-B. You never mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> Mario, it's, it's really fun for me to see you and Damon chatting because, of course, you raced Graham, didn't you? Yes, I did, actually. How good was Graham Hill? Tell us now. Graham Hill was very good, indeed. I mean, you look at his record. I mean, the sports cars. I mean, Wendell Le Mans and uh, he drove Can-Am. Drove Indy cars, won Indy, you know, look how many times he won Monaco. And so, again, uh, yeah, Graham, uh, what a hell of a guy. It was so fun to be around him. Quite honestly, I remember just times, even in South Africa, we used to spend quite a bit of time. because We'd always go there at least a week before we do testing and so forth. Then we would have some time to ourselves. But uh, I have photos of uh, Graham and myself and, uh, and actually Roger Penske up there. Uh, kibitzing around and um, yeah fun memories uh, of uh, of your dad uh, for sure can you tidy something up for me you were on pole at indy in 1966 there he goes it's tom tom's gonna tom's gonna throw <laughs> you the question you, you, you haven't got a lap chart with you have you mario <laughs> did Gra- <laughs> graham said he won the indy 500 because he drunk the milk um what <laughs> It was there was a lot of confusion in that race with all the crashes. Just give us your verdict. In '66, uh, I uh, blew. A, I think it was an engine that went for me, so uh, I didn't finish that race. Uh, quite honestly, I felt that uh, I had the car, competitive car, that it could have been uh, a good race for me, and um, the qualifying showed it. Quite honestly, uh, and during practice, uh, but. Um, Again, it was a lot of confusion in that race because uh, there was, uh, I think, some scoring uh, potential issue there that uh, was debated. But I think it, it ultimately it worked out. But uh, I think some people thought that, that James won. Jim, I mean, that Jimmy yeah. won. Not, not Damon, Mario. Damon didn't think that. No, no. I, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm on my dad's side, obviously. He drank the milk. Yeah. <laughs> Your first order. If we look at this year's championship, I'm not going to ask you to choose a favorite driver, but if there's someone, if it's Lewis or Max, who do you think's got the cutting edge, if you like, or the advantage in, in the driver stakes for this year's championship? Well, it's, it's hard to really determine that in the driver stakes. I mean, that's always, uh, that's the most difficult part. I think Max, I think that they're, they're both, you know, really, capable both into it. Uh, I don't know if there's much really between the, those two, quite honestly. But you'd like to see Max because he has not done 
he has not become one yet. So purely from a, uh, you know, a fan standpoint, you know, you always like to see somebody new to, to achieve that. But at the same time, you know, what if he just, you know, wins an eighth world championship? You know, who's ever going to challenge that? Like I never, ever thought that anyone could challenge Michael Schumacher's record, you know. So uh, it's, it's interesting times. And no matter what, you know, you could say, okay, Mercedes, you know, it's got that uh, unfair advantage. But you know what? You still have to drive it. And, and Lewis has done his job. No question. You can ever, ever take anything away from that. So, again, uh, you, you can speak in with two different hats. It's the, it's the classic setup, though, isn't it? It's the guy who's, it's, you know, it's the young pretender and the old king who's dominated for so long. And then he's, uh, this guy comes along and is going to challenge him. So you, you know what that's like. I mean, there must have been no end of people who tried to take your crown from you. Well, exactly. But I remember also that coming in on the scene, you know, you came on as a youngster or as a new boy. And there's always somebody there that actually sets a standard. You know, when I came to Formula One, you know, the first try that I had, who was the guy I was looking at was Jackie Stewart at the time, because he was the guy. And uh, in in IndyCar, who was? It was AJ Foy. And then if you try to challenge somebody like that, you know, people say, oh, there's no way. And then that, that obviously gives you that much more energy, you know, to say, to prove everybody wrong. It's, it's, it, that's how it works. And uh, when Max came on the scene, he showed something very special immediately, I think, uh, you know, with that Nouette uh, in Brazil, for instance, I remember, you know, that was a, a shiny moment, you know, in his young career and all that. But he supported that throughout. I mean, he's a force to be reckoned with no matter where you go. And that's the quality of a champion, any way you look at it. We've got six to go. And as the pressure ramps up with each passing race, just how important is experience? The later it goes in the year, is that going to favour Lewis Hamilton more because he's been there before? He knows how to do it. Well, Lewis, I think, is very relaxed about things uh, as well. But then I also say that uh, Max is in control of his own emotions for sure. And they both, I think, feel... I'm very, very confident about their team, the team effort behind them. Uh, Lewis has proven everything so far, you know, so uh, he's the one that obviously I think has the slight advantage in that area for sure. But don't count the contender, the other contender out by any means. And uh, that's the interesting part, because uh, um, if someone would ask me, you know, uh, uh, what do you think? You know, who, I, I couldn't tell you. I really can tell you, and that's the beauty of it all. As fans, look at what we have to look forward to. You know, we got six races here. They're going to be real nail nail biters. Is there a limit, Mario, when it comes to clashes? You know, there's moments, obviously famous moments in our sport where two drivers collide. No kidding. <laughs> Crucial moment. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your take on that? Is this all fair and love in war? When you're fighting for something... And this is a, it's a pet peeve of mine, quite honestly. I don't want to see the steward decide a championship with all these penalties. And I think when two individuals of this stature are fighting for something and something happens, you got to let it go. 
because it would be absurd to think to put fault on somebody when both of each other, you know, both of them are out of the race. So, okay, well, okay, it was his fault versus, you know what? You're trying hard. It could be a violent sport in so many ways, but that's why you have a world, you know, a planet of fans watching it. And don't spoil that. This is not school driving. This is the top level. Stuart, cool off. Let these guys fight. Please. All right. Well, we got we got a new driver steward now for the rest of the season, and it's called Mario Andretti, and he's gonna be he's gonna be in the steward room, and he's not gonna have any drivers come and see him at all. Mario Andretti will know what to do. Then. There's me. no crybabies, right? We're just gonna get on with it. <laughs> Next year's calendar: twenty-three races in Formula One. When you were at your busiest as a racing driver, driving everything under the sun. How many races did you drive? What was your busiest season? Oh, I've had uh, 51 races. And uh, actually, I can show you just in my book. Many of, uh, like, you know, but I used to do at least 34, 35, 39, you know, because um, it was a bit crazy, you know, but that's what I wanted, you know. I wasn't forced to do that, quite honestly. But I had great support. My wife just uh, let me do it. Your wife let, let you do it. I, I love that. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, she knew that I would be very miserable trying to go to a picnic or something. <laughs> Mario, you even did the Indy 500 in your world championship winning year, didn't you? Yes. Incredible. Yes. The whole month of May. I suppose what you did a bit of testing at Indy, then would run off to do a to do a Grand Prix and then come back. I suppose, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got Monaco and then Indy five hundred, amazing. Actually, when we had it was Belgium one one month of May, including qualifying. There were uh, there were five weekends, and I had all five weekends. There were uh, three Formula One races and then qualifying and then the Indy. Amazing, amazing. Well, it's now time for Ask Damon. Let's get that first question in. What do we got? Hello, Damon. My name is Andrew Lang. I'm from Anchorage, Alaska. I'm a product of the Netflix series um, and been following F1 for about three years now. Absolutely love the sport. Trying to figure it out. Trying to figure out the history. My question to you was, when you were a driver, did you ever have what was considered the best car on the grid? And if you did, what was your mindset? How was it different? How was your approach different? How was the pressure different versus when you didn't have that car? Hi, Andrew. And Alaska. Wow, Alaska. Um, I've not been to Alaska. I think I must must go to Alaska at the moment I can. I have. It's cold. Beautiful. Beautiful. Beautiful, but wild. Only racetracks out there, Mario, in Alaska? Not nice. Just nice. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, a bit of rallying. Okay, so you can help with this one. I'm going to say... Um, that I did have the best car, no question about it. In uh, 96, when I won the championship, um, I had the best Adrian Newey car. We dominated, started every race in the front row, and which I think is still a record, and um, FW18. And my mindset was different because I thought, oh, fantastic, I've got the best car. That's the only thing you can say. It's much better to have the best car than a car that's uh, not so good. You can win some races with cars that are not so good, and that's very satisfying. But, you know, you have to be honest. It's much nicer. You still get your teammate to beat anyway. But Mario can tell us about having the best car uh, in, in Formula One, certainly. 
Uh, I would say that the Lotus 79 was one of the best cars, wasn't it, Mario? Well, that was one of them, yeah, for sure, obviously. Uh, actually, the Lotus 78 also, you know, I think it might have been even a better, easier championship for me then, but uh, the engine reliability was just atrocious that particular year for some reason. But, you know, I we've been on, as you say, on a grid, you know, thinking you know what you have under you. And there's, there's no better feeling than obviously, you know, especially if you're on pole, you know what you have under you. It's all about confidence, isn't it? There are a few times and not too often that you say, today they have to beat me. And there's no better feeling. Even you wouldn't dare say it, but when you say it to yourself, it reinforces, you know, the feeling that you have going in. So yeah, yeah, those are the moments that you're striving for. They're very rare, <laughs> no matter how fortunate you are, they're very rare, but uh, I've experienced that already. Damon, it's 25 years, almost to the day, isn't it, since you won the title? Last week, so when this podcast comes out, it will be 25 years ago last week, probably, um, so that I won the championship. And I took the, um, I know what you're hinting at, because I actually took my guys out who worked on my car because when I when I won the championship, I kind of left the team and I didn't get a chance to say thank you. So I, 25 years later, I took out my team of mechanics. <laughs> never too late. Never too late. Never, never too, late. too late. And they lo- they seemed to like it. So I was really glad. And it was really fun to go back and, and meet them all again and, and, and get them together and have a nice meal and a picture with the car. So that was nice. So a, a pie and a pint near Grove in England. Well, it was a, it was more of a you know gastro pub. Tom, it wasn't. It wasn't a cheap meal. It was very nice. And uh, but yeah, it was. It was. It, you know, when you've got that car, we didn't get Adrian along. I'll. I'll. I'll do another time. But you know that. Uh, uh, of course, with Mary, you had. You know, you had a close relationship with with Colin as well. And um, you know, there's that that kind of thing is special, isn't it? When you have. Uh, do, do you get together with your old mechanics, Mario, at all? You know, guys who work closely with you. Always, always, always. I mean, I think um, throughout. Always had a great relationship with mechanics, and it was natural, you know, to do that. I mean, you you rely on them so much, and you know how hard they work, and and you know that uh, if they know that you're out there just giving your your best, they are going to do the same thing, and you need all of that. You know, it's amazing. We were speaking earlier. When I go, I can go uh, up and down the pits, you know, the, the paddock, you know, at Le Mans or somewhere in Formula One, I've worked with someone who's still around almost everywhere I go. You know, it's like a big family that I find no matter where I am. And it's a great feeling, quite honestly. But uh, I have, like I said, those dudes, you know, I have so much affection for them because uh, that's how it works. I'll give you a quick, for instance, we were in Belgium and uh, the 79, the the model came, came out, was just tested in understore by Ronnie Peterson. And uh, I arrived there, it was, to me, it was, uh, it was just a test car that I arrived. And uh, I sort of looked at us, that looks good. And I, I told Colin, I said, Colin, I would like to race that. No, it's impossible, Mark. He said, impossible, just a test car. And I asked <clears throat> Bob Dance, I said, Bob, you think you and the, da- and the kids, the guys can prepare that for me to race? If that's what you want, Mario, we will do that. And I won the race with that. Amazing. Great story. Yeah. Great story. That's a lovely story. Wow. Brilliant. Well, that's question number one, lads. Uh, 
how about question number two? Hello, Damon. It's David from Prague. I would love to know what is your favorite racing film. Mine is John Frankenheimer's 1966 masterpiece Grand Prix. The races in it look so fast and dangerous. I guess you are familiar with the movie since your father has a role in it. Thank you for your answer. I'm looking forward to next episodes. Okay, David, I'm afraid you've nicked my movie. So that was going to be the one I was going to choose, uh, which was, you're right, Frankenheimer film Grand Prix, which is an absolute classic. From the point of view of the film quality and the, the historical record of the racing, uh, some fantastic scenes, a um, bit of an interesting storyline, but that's not we, why we watch it. <laughs> it's quite good. But um, I, my dad also had a, t a speaking role, which was rather embarrassing. He even had a name. He had a fake name, I think. If you look at the credits, it's not... Graham Hill plays... Oh, I can't remember his name. No, it's someone like Fred Smith or something. I can't remember. But he was a racing driver with a funny name. I'm just going to ask Mario if you've ever played a cameo role in a racing film at all? <laughs> Not really, but I'm in agreement about Grand Prix. I think we're all in agreement of that. With all the other modern, more modern uh, films uh, about motor racing that, uh, that came after that, I think nothing really, uh, to me, compares. There's some reality to it. I think, uh, I think Phil Hill also, you know, at the end of his career, he, he would start certain races with a camera on his car just to do the filming on that. So that was the reality of it all. So uh, in so many ways, I, I, I agree with, uh, yes. There's been some good documentaries as well. I mean, Ford versus, or the, actually the dramatic one is Ford versus Ferrari. Have you seen that one? That was quite good. Yes, I have, you know, but but there's, there are a lot of things that are not reality, quite honestly. I could I could take that one. Yeah, you could do a better job of that, you think? A little bit, <laughs> yeah. you know, a little bit too much smoke, yeah. Mario, you know you were saying Phil Hill drove the camera car in Grand Prix. You know his son, Derek, uh, did a lot of the camera work and stunt driving in Ford versus Ferrari, so keeping it in the family. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I didn't know that, actually. Can yeah. I just say, definitely not driven. Do you remember the IndyCar film with Sly Stallone, Driven? Are you grimacing, Mario? I thought you made a cameo in that one, actually. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely gets uh, some um, raspberries of that one. That one. But anyway, I think we're going to have to um, say thank you, Mario, for your time. And, uh, and, and also, I won't see you in the States, but uh, Tom will be out there. So if you get to see him and you can say hello then. Mario, are you coming to Austin? Not 100%, but I might be there. Hopefully see you there. It'd be great to have you at the track. Great to see you again, both of you. Thanks for having me, by the way. Thank you for your time. Great to speak to you. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. Oh, what a legend. I love talking to that man, Damon. Well, you are talking to an absolute living legend. I mean, he is, you know, his history is extraordinary and his record is is equally extraordinary and and there he is happy to chat away and answer the questions from alaska and uh and prague and and our our questions he's such a lovely man so and he's he lives and breathes motorsport yeah and i think we need him in the stewards room we do yeah that'd be interesting yeah <laughs> there basically wouldn't be much work to do with them basically <laughs> no let, him, let it go mass. let it go on yeah. your own. <laughs> oh mario thank you very much for your time well Damon, how's it going to pan out this weekend? What do you yeah, think? It's critical. Everything is now on a very fine balancing tipping point. One false move 
and you could lose the world championship. I mean, you cannot afford to drop 25 points anywhere. And there's the chance that it could happen. It's so easy. And we've had a lot of wet races, haven't we? There's been a lot of uh, uncertainty. I don't know what the weather forecast is for Austin this coming week, but um, you know, probably it rain. rain. <laughs> it has well. We've, we're raining down in Texas, as, as we've seen yeah. before. You know, it's been yeah. it's been not always the sunniest place. So, um, yeah, might be action. slippery as well, Damon. They've they've resurfaced forty percent of the track. So depending on how mm. that's all settled in, whether we're going to end up with a greasy track surface and slippery track surface. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And it depends so much on what suits, you know, whether Red Bull can find a little bit more. I I just think Lewis, after Turkey, they showed they had a bit in hand, a bit to, you know, to help them along the way. But, um, you know, things happen. Things happen and we, we, we're not sure what will, will take place. Well, Lewis has won there five times before. So he, he has to start as favourite, I feel. In this season, anyway, it doesn't always work out the assumption that, that this is a track that favours Mercedes and Lewis. Um, but he's got an incredible record there, hasn't he? I think it's almost like he likes to win in the States. <laughs> he certainly does. Go on, DH. I want to name, though, who do you think is going to win? I think Lewis is going to win. I, I, I can't see how it's going to do But that would also just bring him back, perhaps, into touch, and there'll be nothing between them in points. I mean, so, in fact, Max could come out of this one point in the lead, you know, if Lewis wins in, in the States. So how finely balanced is that? I am, I'm going to Mexico. I'm hoping that they're going to be almost level pegging and then nothing happens in Brazil. And then I see them back in <laughs> Qatar. So um, I'm going to be watching every step of the way, whatever happens. That's going to be brilliant. Okay, I think it's time to wrap up the show, Damon. Call to arms, first of all. Thanks very much, guys, for your questions from all over the world. It's great to hear from you. And if anybody else out there listening wants to ask me some uh, deeply uh, probing and, and difficult question to answer, then all we have to do is make an audio message and send it to askdamonhill at gmail.com. All right, Damon, time to go. So that was it then. That was uh, this week's edition of F1 Nation in association with F1 and Audio Boom Studios. Nailed it. <laughs>